and welcome to the first episode of Digitel, a leadership log mini-series where we chat about navigating the digital healthcare world. We'd like to thank Chime, the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, for sponsoring this mini-series. Today, we're going to be talking about what the clinical workforce can bring to digital health. Through the pandemic, there were big changes in the way we deliver healthcare. To be able to keep seeing our patients, clinicians had to think creatively and use digital tools we'd never considered before. We adapted and we made it work, but as we move forwards and find our new normal, what do clinicians need to do to influence what this will look like? Today I have with me Natasha Phillips. She holds the exciting, if I'm sure extremely busy, role of National Chief Nursing Information Officer for England, and has held this role since May 2020. She's also the Director of Digital Clinical Safety. She's passionate about developing nurses to lead in complex systems, and she's an alumnus of the Florence Nightingale Foundation. Her background in digital health, coupled with her focus on safety and her passion for leadership, put her in a great position to talk to us about the role clinicians have to play in this new world of digital healthcare. Welcome, Natasha. Thank you so much for joining us on Digital and for being our first ever guest on our new podcast. Oh, thank you, Antonia. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I mean, what a guest to have for our first ever episode. I'm absolutely honoured, Natasha, that you've agreed to come and chat to me. And I'm looking forward to talking to you about what what I think is really a bit of a shared passion, having clinicians front and centre leading the digital health agenda. So you've been in your role since just before the pandemic, is that right? I Yes, May 2020. So I was due to start my role but a little bit before that, but I stayed in the uh, hospital that I was working in at the time, UCLH, to support them set up their response to the pandemic because that felt like the most pressing thing at the time and, and kicking off a new... Uh, a new revolution, a call to action around digital didn't feel like quite the right thing to be doing at that time. So I stayed put to do that and then um, moved across as quickly as I could because many digital colleagues who are often unsung heroes were working really hard in the background to enable us to respond to the pandemic. And it's quite interesting to see how much digital helped us in the pandemic um, and also how much um, the, the ways that we had to work with digital technology, technology through the pandemic sort of accelerated that agenda. So in a way, um, it sounds um, sort of odd and, and um, not wishing to sort of capitalise on the pandemic in any way, but a really good start for me. So what felt initially like a bad start, and it feels quite lonely to start your job at a screen from home, enabled me to meet many more people much more quickly, um, get involved with some of the important work that the that NHS Digital and NHSX were working on. Um, but also everybody else was getting familiar, and particularly our leadership community, with working with technologies to enable them to do their job. You know, the, the emergence of teams just revolutionised things. So it actually made that... Um, push with our leadership, our non-digital nursing community, um, our, our sort of senior nurse leadership community, who really are key to ensuring that we drive this forward. It made that a bit easier, I think, because they had to engage with technologies and it started to help them think about how this might be helpful. And also, of course, where the challenges might lie for nurses. You and I had a bit of a shared experience there, I think, because I started my first digital role I think two or three months before the pandemic started. So we had to do everything virtually for the first time and it took quite a lot of getting used to. Um, but before long, 
it didn't take all that long before we were having daily team well-being catch-ups and using Microsoft Teams for chats. And I felt like I knew the team as well as if I'd been meeting them all in person. Um, and I suppose alongside me doing that and our team doing that, the rest of the NHS were all adjusting to this new way of working. So that must have been a really interesting time to be leading the digital agenda during a pandemic, which wasn't what you were expecting when you took the job, I expect. And so it's been a real time of change digitally, which has been a necessity really yeah. for the NHS, but things have changed extremely fast. So how has that felt for you trying to lead something which almost had a life of its own, I suppose? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, so I, I definitely I'm at a two year point in this role. So really starting to be quite reflective about where we've been, where to next. Um, I think um, although uh, there was a, a lot happening with people using tech in the first instance and and, um, you know, people at the center doing stuff to support that. It, it, it probably felt quite hard at the start and it's felt like quite a long journey. So when I became CNIO for England, it was, we, this is a great idea, we need to have a national CNIO, but beyond that, there hadn't been a lot of thought and um, it had to be created from nothing. Now I have to say, I noticed, it, you know how we all have the red thread of narrative throughout our career like, and it, it, it's probably, it's very much tied to what we like to do and, and, and ultimately uh, you do well if you do things that you like to do. I'm, pro I'm very good at startup and visioning and creation. Um, so I had the freedom in a way to do that, um, but no resource at all. Um, but the, the thinking time is there. And luckily, actually, uh, with Matthew Gould at the helm at NHSX, really, really supported and championed. And Ruth has been the greatest ambassador for digital and and. Um, like many nurses, she'd say, well, I'm not very digital. Um, and she's more digital than she thinks. But she's also very smart at knowing where, where do we need to go next? Um, and how do I make sure I've got the people around me to make sure that I support the profession to, to go forward, which is why I think, you know, she lobbied very hard for that CNIO and then supported me to lobby for resource. And sort of over this last two years, it's been very much about building momentum encouraging others, liberating the talents of others. So our strategic ambitions are sort of twofold. One about building capability in the workforce to both sort of practice in a digital healthcare system, but also to be leading what that looks like. So that's really one. And then the other is, you know, our, us that are in those positions, leading and ensuring that nurses and midwives are well served by tech. So people like you using your expertise in an organisation to ensure that when you're procuring systems or implementing them, we're putting not only patients at the centre, but the people delivering care at the centre. And for us as NIOs, you know, that's that's primarily nursing, but thinking in an, in an MDT way. So really liberating people like you to do your job has kind of been the biggest focus. And I think if we get the people bit right, the rest will follow. Um, it feels like long, slow work, and then suddenly you have a shift. So there's been some key points along the way, I think. Um, one being the Digital Health Summit, where we saw that when you call the nursing community to action, they come. And there were a lot. And where we are at the moment, I think, is um, our 
nurse leadership community, I've definitely seen a shift. So chief nurses are, are recognising this is something they need to pay attention to, which is why we serve them with what good looks like, because you don't know what you don't know. So we've given them the recipe. We're trying to develop their staff, trying to do a bit of match.com with saying, speak to your digital nurse. And if you haven't got one, get one. And I, and I can see that moving. Um, so I think the next big milestone for us will be the the second wave of the digital maturity assessment. So I'm hoping to see some shift there that will tell us we're heading in the right direction. And then, of course, um, the Phillips Ives review, when we get that recommendation, I think that's in the mandate, because what I've sort of done in the last two years is do as much as you can uh, as an individual and and, and sort of inspiring others but now I think they really need particularly that education roadmap because so much of this is about how we're preparing the workforce so I think when we have that robust plan and we've done it in the way that we have um, constructed i.e bringing our professional bodies our regulatory bodies you know the key national bodies together with experts and with international nursing experts as well will have such an evidence-based mandate and we will have brought people on the thinking journey that we should then start to see a gear change so I guess I'm kind of in my mind always sort of strategically planning and starting up things I think we've done the startup uh, we've hit a good point we've got a bit of a a social movement going so there's lots of people doing stuff but we need to work top and bottom and there's a lot more to do at the top and I'm calculating in my mind so those milestones and how far they'll take us to being where we need to be overall as a profession um, and, and it's it's a pretty long journey but I think by the time we are implementing Phillips Ives and we can say most chief nurses are doing something about what good looks like um, I'd say we'll have be well beyond the startup phase which is which is the area that I'm probably the best at. I actually attended the kickoff event that you had for the Phillips Ives review and I was really encouraged to see the fantastic engagement and the enthusiasm in the chat from loads of digital nurses and other digital clinicians um, and I noticed that a lot of the questions were around what we can do to equip clinical staff before they qualify before they come into the workforce. Um, I th- I've been thinking a bit about how we might prepare those clinicians for this digital world that they'll be entering. It looked like quite a lot of other people have been thinking about that question too. Um, And I wonder whether we need a particular digital health module in pre-reg training or whether digital needs to be a thread that runs through all of our clinical practice and including through our training. But I wonder if perhaps this isn't going far enough. I suppose my question is, do you have a view on that, about where we're going with nurse, with education of clinicians in the digital space? Um, yeah, I've been thinking about it hard too. And obviously when I came in, the temptation would have been to do some stuff. But actually, um, we think best when we think with others, don't we? And, and um, also uh, when we bring some evidence so we test our hypotheses, we you know, bring evidence to it, we, we'll come up with a better solution, which is why we're doing the Phillips Ives review. And a key question in that is how do we prepare undergraduates um, before uh, so that they are, you know, are prepared before they even enter to, like that work clinical workspace. And then how how, you know, education is delivered in partnership with with hospitals. So what's the role there? So there's quite a lot to unpick in terms of how you support people. And arguably, we could even go a step further back and go, 
most most you know this could be a way to attract new people to nursing so what do we do in that space and the review should look at that in its widest sense I think and come up with those suggestions so it will the panel that's looking at that led by um, Professor Laura Sarant who's one of our regional um, education leads um, is really will be really bringing together educators, students and others to start to inform that. And I think they're probably better placed to answer the question than me. Instinctively, I think that it needs to be woven through everything, i.e. it's just the way we practice. So we don't go um, when we are educating nurses about, um, you know, when we're doing our pathophysiology stuff and educating them about managing hypertension or something it's not oh here's a lesson on how to use the dynamap it's you know this is what this is how you manage your blood pressure right now we're going to do some oskies you know we're going to assess the patient you're going to take the blood pressure what are you considering what are the things you need to think about so it's just a tool that's in there and actually that's a digital tool isn't it so all of the digital stuff not does need to be woven in that said there probably could be some specific focus so Data science probably needs its own module. Um, and uh, within that, you would probably span the breadth of going into AI as well. So we could probably do with some really specific stuff there about how you use data. Um, and, you know, it, from, from the first bit of getting data quality in, but to how you use it out the other side. And we'll have to carefully craft that, I think, to think what what is it that people need to know. And I'm curious, because you're actually teaching uh, at the moment. So, you know, are you teaching any of that stuff? It's interesting that you asked me that. I've been asked by a couple of universities to speak to their students in different contexts. One of them was undergraduates for student nurses, and one of them was a postgraduate module for I think digital health, it was for people working already in digital roles. And neither of those two things were, were very prescriptive really about exactly what they wanted me to talk about, just broadly that it would be about digital and it's linked to clinical practice. Um, so in both of them, I did talk about how nurses and other clinicians need to think about risk and about patient safety. And I think data is a really big thing which can carry quite a lot of risk and which links quite easily to patient safety but which clinicians don't often think about at all really so I didn't go into masses of detail but I think it's about well I suppose about getting clinicians to start thinking about how what they might previously have thought of as IT things are actually patient safety things and how does that make a difference to your practice or does it make a difference to your practice if I suppose it should do, but if it doesn't yet, then where are you going to try and find out more to make sure you're not adding risk to patients? So I think if you talk to clinicians in these terms with the focus on patient safety and risk management, they get a bit more interested than they might if we were framing our conversation around cybersecurity or around data warehouses. So I completely agree with you that we need to have a digital thread through everything we do, making it usual that training is centred around documentation on an EPR, for example. And it's just, it's a shift, isn't it, into how you think about everything. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, if you if you took it, and, and this is where it ties into where you would weave it through, because you might have a module that's focused um, around the documentation of care. And of course you could weave in IG there. You can weave in cyber, can't you? You can talk about some principles and structured data, you know, uh, 
and weave it through but in the context of why is this important well it's important to document our care accurately because of patient safety and so on and then in a in a research you know in research modules um, get into into more into more detail about how you might use the information that you're gathering about your patients every day. So there there are ways it could be woven through, and that's why I say that panel is really needs to engage our educators because I suspect our educators in universities will also need some support in terms of them thinking about their own digital and data literacy and how this might. Um, uh, then impact on how they deliver the course so they're the experts in they understand the curriculum as as per the standards laid down by um our regulatory body you know that that essentially then the universities broadly build a curriculum around and they have lots of freedom to do that but i think they've got the education expertise so we need to kind of go on that thinking journey with them say well this is how we're practicing now so how could this fit in and there's a real opportunity in many unis who, to start to bring different departments together so I think what would be really exciting in education and I think um, Professor Theo Fottis is doing this down in Brighton actually is to start to go right let's bring these different students together from different parts so we might bring the computer science or engineering students together with nursing students to do, use things like hackathons, which is simply a sort of problem solving methodology, isn't it, where they bring their different expertise and do something and start to talk about innovation. And then within our, our nurse curriculum, you, know, you bring in some quality improvement science as well, which is something that really, you know, again, is probably done in different ways wherever we are. So the trick is, I think, to not over prescribe, but set the standard. And I think that's where the review comes into place, because we need to engage the NMC, we need to engage higher education institutes um, through HEE and through the Council of Deans to sort of say, well, do can we set a standard? Do we need to set a standard? And how are we going to get universities to start to pick the, up, this up? So it's not in such an ad hoc way, um, I, you know, like you your, you work locally with your university but and your the student nurses in your area are so lucky because they get to meet you and that could be really inspiring and what if they think yeah, I think I might be one of those um, uh, NIOs one day that sounds like a really exciting branch of nursing for me um, but but it, it's got to be um, an expectation because the world has changed and the worst thing we could do is um, do them di the disservice of not covering this up in an applied way in their course in reality, those people coming into education are expecting us to be working hugely with tech and data and probably are more adept and able than many of us and many of the people that will teach them. So let's let's build a curriculum that sort of liberates that, I think. Definitely. We've got a whole generation of digitally native students coming through who are they're expecting masses yeah. from us digitally. And if we don't give it to them, then they'll turn into the next lot of nurses saying, tech isn't for me I don't want to get involved in improving the EPR or just this isn't for me whereas actually it is for them and if we start them off early enough and make the new generation of clinicians feel really empowered that digital is for them then we've got a great opportunity so let's let's not miss it if they go through university never hearing about data and how it relates to their clinical practice then they won't think it does relate to them and then we've maybe missed our chance yeah absolutely and, and also, a lot of education for nurses happens in practice, so let's not forget that sector. So when we do that roundtable, you know, let's bring the practice educators in and think about, um, you know, why aren't we running, you know, and some people are, um, but, you know, dedicated placements, 
with the nursing informatics team. I've seen that happening recently and it's so exciting, isn't it? I want to be copying those trusts who are, who are doing that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Inspiring, I think, for them. Absolutely. It'd be good to share their fantastic good practice so others can use their model, maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh, perhaps I'll see if one of them could come on the podcast to talk about it. I think that sounds like a really good idea. And we definitely need as part of our Philip's eyes when they bring the panels together. Um, I should just make a note of that, that that needs to be a we need to think about who's invited to the roundtable. So we've got people who've been doing that so that the education panel can hear that and it can start to in- inform their thinking. Yeah, absolutely. So we've talked a bit about education, which I know is only part of your role, Natasha, and there's a lot of clinicians who are already working to lead digital change in their workplaces. What are the unique skills that clinicians can bring to this space and how can we make sure that we're putting these skills to their best use, whether it be a nurse, a midwife, a doctor, an AHP, any kind of clinician? Because I know obviously your role covers nurses and midwives, but I think that the principles are similar across the different professions. Yeah, the principle is the same regardless of the clinical profession and obviously um, the the ideal sort of clinical informatics team has the voice of all these professions because uh, then you bring a, such a diversity of experience and each of them gets to influence how their profession in the organisation is served um, because um, you know, I, I don't think I could design a workflow for a physio because I've never been a physio. So why would I presume that I could do it because I'm a, you know, a, an IO? It, it, we know that we have to engage lots. And um, sometimes in the general workforce, A, they haven't got the headspace to think about this because delivering clinical care is a busy business, isn't it? But B, also that expertise isn't there to start to reimagine your work in a digital way. So the unique role of clinical informaticians is that they bring their clinical knowledge so in our instance nursing knowledge up and alongside some technical knowledge of technical issues and data science I think we bring all of that together um, to then start to build and develop but more than that what we're seeing that's the the traditional definition of what clinical informatician is Um, and there's some great sort of definitions from the US who are further ahead and those um, but more than that what we're seeing is there's um, other skills that are needed beyond beyond those and that is improvement science and leadership change management because a lot of this is about people and process as much as it is about the technology. So if you can develop a rounded um, individual that's been been invested in with sort of expert knowledge in all those domains, then you really have a sort of powerful person who can really support um, the wider profession to move forward and change quite quickly and support any change plans in an organisation because they will have got the right people together because they've got their change management improvement science stuff together. So they're influencing because they're leaders. They've got the right people together. They're doing really robust process uh, mapping and all the techniques of QI, but also they've got this, this tech background and the data science background so they understand the art of the possible in that space and they'll also bring other things like user-centric design which are are skills explicit there which aren't so different to some of the QI stuff but there are nuanced differences so if someone with an education with a background with all of those skills could really advance practice and perhaps that's too much to hope for actually perhaps there are um people major on different parts so I think in the specialist workforce you might broadly want someone to have some insight into those 
but you'll have some clinical informaticians who are much more in the clinician builder space. So they might be building your EHR and doing some of that. And then you'll have others who are much more in the supporting transformation change space. And then you may even have others who are much more in the data usage space. And I think there's room for all of that. Uh, so we need teams of clinicians with all of that. And it has to be um, that that sits alongside technical and data science experts. So we should only go so far there's a reason data scientists do three years at university because it's a profession of its own. So, you know, we, we're not looking to get clinicians to that level. We're getting, getting them to a, a sufficient level where they can interact and have good dialogue and maybe do some early stuff that then might be, let's now draw in these other experts as well. Um, so I think it's really important not to try and um, go too far into, into those spaces. It's about recognising that this is... Um, we use the term MDT for clinical, but I sometimes use the term multidisciplinary team to say more than that, actually, about other experts that we need to bring together around the problem. I think it's really important when we're talking about clinicians leading the digital agenda to make sure that we're not saying that at the expense of anyone who is already doing an amazing job of their part of leading the digital agenda from other professional backgrounds. So technical experts, data scientists, we nurses bring a set of skills with us and others bring their own set of skills and we need to get the best out of each other and work together so that we can end up with a fantastic system that's been contributed to by all the right people who need to be involved to create it really really well and clinicians are part of that as are the technical experts who really understand how to put these systems together absolutely, absolutely. and we, we may well you know we probably will have our informaticians doing data science degrees but I'd like to think that it's bespoke and in an applied way thinking about uh, bringing that sort of specialist knowledge from the profession up alongside to, to how you do it so for instance you know thinking about development of EHRs you know you want nurses who are really grounded in nursing theory and understand uh, the theory of nursing practice and bring that up and alongside some data science um, theory and and so in a program um you would you would use an, you'd bring them together and do something applied you know in your in in your in your uh, model of learning and that's what we need to get the educators to start thinking about and one of the things i keep thinking about so do you need many countries will have a nursing informatics degree that's entirely or masters you know entirely separate um is it okay to just do a data science one that's got nothing to do with health should you do a clinical one that's more broad I think we need to unpack some of that and go well what is it we really want people to know and then let's work out what's off what's on offer but it's really important that um, clinicians from the bedside nurse all the way through to these expert roles are involved every step of the way and enter into a sort of diverse group of people designing stuff in a sort of respectful way that understands the um, unique skills that others have and I think that's why nurses are very good in this space as well because I often find with this work there's, is a translational role so we're doing a lot of translating between and and that's that's very um it's a, it's a strong skill for nurses because we're translating every day sort of medical stuff 
into language that our patients can understand. So it's it's just innate, I think. It's just we've been doing it for so long that we can then take it into another domain and go, right, this is a transferable skill. I'm now going to do this in the world of tech. <laughs> yes. If you can do it with patients and medical jargon, then I think you can do it with most things. <laughs> so we're in a good position <laughs> to use that transferable Absolutely. skill. <laughs> so I'm thinking a bit about the future now. I'm, I'm reluctant to say in a post pandemic world because I'm currently recovering from COVID. Um, so it's not, uh, we're not there yet, but we're moving in the right direction and perhaps thinking to a, um, a less pandemic centric world. Um, what do we think that, the, what do you think that the future might look like for patients, for clinicians who are working in this kind of digital health landscape? We've talked a bit about electronic health records. Um, I know there's a lot of conversation nationally about virtual wards. Is it all about EPRs and virtual wards or is there more to it Natasha what do you think that the future might look like for patients and clinicians without having access to a crystal ball but you know maybe what you would like the future to look like well I know what I'd like the future to look like for patients and clinicians and I and it, that is very much grounded in um, the art and science of nursing so you know uh, if we go back to say Virginia Henderson's definition of nursing, the role of the nurse is to support individuals um, to um, care for themselves and live their best life, regardless of disease, uh, and and to help them to the best, most comfortable death they can have. And so, um, really, the good tech should help us to do that. And that role of the nurse is is um goes beyond illness and is often about caring for well people so if we think about the role of the health visitor for instance or our midwifery colleagues you know they're not looking after sick women these are well women who are having babies so it's all about wellness really and being as well as you can be and and that's what our ambition is really as we go into the icb world isn't it to say we are going to support populations to be as healthy as they can be and that's going to mean um, using big data. Uh, it's going to mean coming together and addressing what, you know, Nye Bevan would have called the five wants, you know, around uh, education, housing. And, and that's always been at the heart of, of what we are about. And, and more in your sphere of nursing than mine, you know, this is the heart of community nursing, really, isn't it? Um, so getting everyone, you know, not in always focusing on hospitals and acute and disease, but more about the whole person. And digital definitely offers that space. So I worry that people will pursue virtual ward for virtual ward's sake. And, and I, what I want to think about is more broadly, uh, so what are the models of care that are going to enable us to do exactly that, help people to stay healthy for as long as they can, help people to be at home or whatever setting they live in for as long as they can in the place that they want to be. And we've set up ICBs to do that. And what we need to do is make sure that the tech is coming in nicely alongside to enable that. So, so yes, there probably will be many more remote consultations um, with patients. More importantly, the most I think the most exciting thing in our in our shift in tech and transformative is to put patients in the driving seat. So portals, apps, you know, the whole wearable space, that's that will be transformative. When when patients can interact with us and, and us and all the information that we can serve at them to look at look after themselves, we'll have we'll have done something sort of fundamentally 
different in healthcare. And, and one of the benefits that, um, or one of the outcomes of the pandemic is I think people are expecting that more. There's an appetite for it. I think, uh, you know, there is an element of maybe ceding power to patients to do that. But it, given how we're our professional focus and the reason people come into nursing, I'd like to think that we're really well set as a profession to adopt that and to lead and start saying we could do this differently. But we have to do some basics like founding foundations like EHRs, but you know, that is, that's not transformative in itself. Um, we need, do need to go beyond that into what's the, what's the way we want to deliver care, what do we want our health and social care system to look like, and then how's this, how's this stuff gonna, gonna help us? Making it more of a health service instead of a illness treatment Ill service. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You're absolutely right, though, that in my workplace in community nursing, we do do a lot of visiting for a particular intervention. So going to do a wound dressing or give insulin, for example, instead of a bigger picture way of thinking about how we look after a population so they don't need those interventions. And now that we've got access to such a lot of data about population health, we need to get much better at knowing how to use it to help us and to help our patients. Absolutely. To give us great insights and to um, give people great insights. And I think um, what one of the things that will be challenging along the way is is trust. So, um, you know, many uh, people get quite nervous about how we use their healthcare data. And this comes back to our point about how we educate um our healthcare professionals and many other things that we need to do. But we uh, need to understand this sort of issue in depth to be able to support people to feel trust for us to use their data um, in ways that can support them before they even know they've got anything wrong with them. Imagine a world where you don't need to wait on the phone for your overwhelmed GP surgery because you've got an app which can give you exactly the information you need and you know you can rely on it and you can look after yourself because of that information. I'm very hopeful about these kind of things, but I think we've got quite a long way to go before we get there. There's a massive way to go. And one of the, you know, when we then look at it and think about risk, obviously the one that people always cite to, as well as this sort of the nervousness around data is, is sort of in, inclusion and not having a sort of a digital exclusion. And so what I think, um, you know, we have to pay really close attention to that as we go through the journey. But arguably, uh, you can support those who who need it most um once we've supported the wider population to help themselves more you can get to those folk if if this is done um with that always in mind rather than just you know we're going to plow ahead and not really think about it, and then inadvertently exclude people but even even if only the ones who have all the skills and the tools they need to engage digitally and who really want to start using digital opportunities to engage with the health service, yeah. which would include me completely because I don't want to travel in for appointments yeah. and I don't need to. So even if all the people like me who are really keen on digital start using these digital routes, it frees up capacity. Absolutely. So there's more room for everybody else to use traditional routes to access. And I think as long as it's always an option and not the only way, then it could only be a good thing. And, and also, if we think of things like social exclusion, I get quite excited about what digital might do for people who are who are quite um, isolated. Um, you know, through some really 
um, useful technology. We see examples of it all the time in terms of how you can do fault prevention in people's home uh, and just make people feel safer in their own home with the, with the um, thoughtful and useful adaptation of technologies on pathways. And that comes back to the answer to your question about why do you need clinicians in this? Because you need that expertise to start thinking about the types of technology that might help here. And the other voice that has to be front and centre, of course, is it's asking uh, people and patients themselves and getting them involved in, in solving the problem. So we're not creating tech for problems that people don't have, but we're identifying the problems and then going, hmm, how could tech help here? Yes, don't think you know the solution before you really understand the problem. Yeah. Well, Natasha, we're nearing the end of the podcast now and we've got two final questions we're going to ask all of our guests on this podcast. So I'll test them out on you. The first question is, what piece of technology most impacts your life and why? Um, probably my smartphone. And I think that's probably the same for most people. Um because I can do so much on the move. So um, it really um, liberates me to do so much more. I am more productive. Is there a risk that um, it um, that sometimes there's a loss of focus and you're doing lots of things? Probably, but in the main, I think it's been a really positive um, and even down to like really simple apps and things that help like um, find my iPhone where I can also find my friends and track my teenage daughters and know exactly where they are. <laughs> I find that really helpful and saves me a of worry. That's so useful to be able to know where they are all the time. It's extraordinary how far along smartphones have moved in the last, you know, 10 years or something. It's, it's extraordinary. But I think the trouble with this question is that maybe everybody is going to say smartphone. Smartphone is just the answer to that question, objectively. Um, so I might have to rethink it and ask something like, what's the most embarrassing app on your smartphone instead? You never mm. know. You should test it anyway, I think. I think mine would be my brain trainer thing that I'm trying to do at the moment and uh, elevate, which is a, a brain trainer to um, sort of imp increase my processing speed and, and importantly, increase in improve my maths, which is pretty abysmal. And it's quite a good one. I, I am a little bit addicted at the moment. I'm sure there are worse things to be addicted to than a brain trainer app. <laughs> well, thank you for that answer. And the, the final question, Natasha, and I did give you a little bit of um, thinking time earlier, so hopefully you've got somebody in your head now, is if they were going to make a movie of your life, who would you want to play you and why? Oh God, you know, I still don't have an answer for that. I haven't a clue. And my brain is wearing. I feel under pressure. It's like, you know, when you do group activities in um, when you bring the team together, we're going to do an icebreaker. I just find those so pressured. But they stress, they stress me out. So this kind of thing stresses me out because I feel like I need to be really interesting. My uh, Maybe um, Sandra Bullock and, and there is my, my daughter always would... Um, loved uh, Gracie Hart do you remember that <laughs> and I remember her saying to me when she was younger mummy um I, w I won't need to go to university because Sandra Bullock didn't go to university <laughs> well if Sandra Bullock didn't then nobody needs to because really if, there, if, there's, <laughs> if there's ever a measure of success it should be Sandra Bullock I think <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, so I probably should think of someone super smart and intellectual and you know serious um but I, I have Sandra Bullock <laughs> <laughs> it's very normal 
and you're right she's very normal can play lots of roles uh, so so maybe that's me just someone really normal lovely yes. I think that's an excellent answer Sandra Bullock for the win <laughs> <laughs> Well, Natasha, that's the end of our questions. So thank you so much is all there is left to say. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and a real honour having you as our first guest on Digitel. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Antonia. Bye, everyone. And it's goodbye from me as well. And thank you so much for everybody listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed our first episode and I hope to see you again next time for our next episode. Thank you again to Chime, our fantastic sponsors, and thank you also to our listeners. If you want to find out more information about anything we discussed today, please check out the show notes. And until next time, we'll say goodbye. Thanks for listening to Digitel, where we talk about navigating the digital healthcare world. Any views, thoughts and opinions expressed by the host or guests belong solely to them and not necessarily to their employer, organisation, committee or other group or individual. Mm -hmm.